0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing with me. One of the benefits of being able to do this and have the blessed opportunity to do what I do is you every now and then get to meet some some great people. And I got an email a while ago from uh, Gunter here. Uh, Gunter and Kurt are both from Austria, and uh, they are reporters. And uh, they are here. They've been to New York. They've been to Michigan. Uh, Where else? Ohio. Ohio. They've been around, and they are doing a lot of reporting on the current political situation, amongst other things that are going on in the United States. But very articulate, very friendly, and it's just an honor to have you both on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Come back anytime. Yeah. Okay. All right, we are back on schedule. We're going to pick back up on our examination of the Book of Mormon, but first some announcements. Grab a pencil. Here we go. Sundays 10 and 2.30, we hold church, uh, what we think it should look like. Uh, milk it happens at 10 a.m. in the morning. Meat is at 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, our website genius, Micah, uh, finished our campus website www.campus with hyphens in between. We should have a graphic there for you. And the site explains uh, what the campus distinctives are, how to get where we are, stuff like that. Uh, it also is hosting all the teachings that we do, so you can check that out. Also on Sundays, heart of the Matter is seen on AM 820, uh, The Truth. And that is a radio station here in the Salt Lake uh, area. Great Christian radio station I listen to uh, quite frequently and has good information well, on Sundays from 1 to 2. They replay uh, Heart of the Matter. Just to let you know, I failed to recognize that we have uh, about 16 students from the Bible Institute of Los Angeles here with us. Uh, not another name, but the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, so we welcome them and are grateful that they're here now just uh because we have church does not mean we don't strongly recommend other churches we're personally fond of alpine churches calvary chapel salt lake with pastor terry long the church at liberty park sandy ridge with pastor travis mitchell uh, center point in orem and pastor scott mckinney and provo baptist with neil pafford Calvary Chapel in Cedar City. These churches are all about teaching the word, helping all people, and have been very supportive of Alathea without being uh, commanded. Speaking of churches doing all they can to reach out and prepare themselves to receive incoming LDS, I want to mention a phenomenal tool that's being utilized by churches all throughout the state. It's called Transitions. I agreed uh, a while ago to promote the Transitions product for churches that are transitions trained, that help Mormons come out of Mormonism and into, into biblical Christianity. So we're gonna show you a current list. Here we go. We have a, uh, Adventure Church, we have Alpine Church in Leighton, Alpine Church in West Haven, Cache Valley Bible Church, Calvary Chapel Clearfield, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake, First Presbyterian Church uh, in Salt Lake City, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Holy Cross Lutheran Church, uh, K2 The Church, Legacy Fellowship, Main Street Church, Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church, Mountain Life Evangelical Free, New Pilgrim Baptist, Provo Baptist Church, South Mountain Community Church, and The Church in Tooele. If you didn't see your church on that list, all you got to do is tell your pastor, hey, go to Transitions, www.ldstransitions.com, and they can become Transitions Trained. Okay, Aletheia Ministries, because of your support, produces another program called The X-Files. It's hosted by Bishop uh, Earl, a man we lovingly call Bishop Earl. He's uh, out of the LDS church into uh, a a relationship with the Lord, but he hosts it, and it airs uh, here on TV 20 Friday nights at 8 p.m. If you want to be interviewed, email Bishop Earl at www.xmormonfiles.tv and get with it. And uh, we need your personal stories right now. We have a number of books that are available to you. Where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face is available in family Christian bookstores throughout the nation presently here in Utah. You can pick one up at utlm.org, Lifeway Christian Bookstore and Calvary Chapel Salt Lake. You can also go to amazon.com and order a copy through them. They actually print it on demand for us, thanks to Rich Brogy who set that up for us, a good friend and partner. We praise God for making this book available in so many places at this important time in the Mormon Christian debate. UTLM Lifeway here in Utah and Calvary Chapel Salt Lake also carries our other books. Got an email recently from a supporter named Stu. This is what it said. Hey, Sean, the show on Salt Lake City being the gayest city wasn't that great. It seemed out of character. With you, the guy who explained gay sin is the same as heterosexual sin, the show seemed a little unkind. I know gay people who are very nice people and I felt that they were being disrespected. I'm not saying you have to soft sell or unite or anything like that, but the flamboyant gay persona seemed to be in conflict with your typical style and message. I wrote back and, and said these few things. First of all, if I represented something that was not true about the homosexual community, the gay community, I sincerely apologize. I thought my character, uh, characterizations were right on in terms of being the flamboyant gay, whatever I did. The problem with being me is I don't always remember what I do when I'm up here, but uh, it wasn't out of malice. Uh, secondly, in this age of hypersensitivity, I refuse personally to treat any special interest group with special interest. Uh, I treat everybody the same, and people are people. Uh, white trash people, as they're categorized, are they—they they have certain endemic traits. That's what makes comedy comedy. Black people, Mexican people, Greeks, Italians, gays, nerds, even fat white guys who host um, <laughs> strange television shows. We all have certain things, you know. You can characterize characterize me very easily and that's all it is it's out of love I include people through those characterizations and and not out of malice and uh, it allows me to be free which is mandatory in the life of a Christian secondly it allows us me to freely love which is mandatory for me as a Christian and finally it lets people who are part of special interest groups know I love and accept them as they are and uh, will speak to them as they are and as I see them one example is whenever I come across a black person for instance in Salt Lake City. And if I'm with friends or at some public place, I'll say to the black person, "Okay, wait a minute. A black guy in Utah. What's going on? Now, the people with me usually go you know? (laughs) But the black guy cracks up. They laugh every single time. And we establish a relationship. And and, and they get it. They understand it. So I would bet that in my flamboyant representations of the gays back in that show, I'm sure the gays were laughing, too because it is done out of love, because how else can I relate to you unless it's how I would see you and then, and then openly uh, try to engage with you, okay? So uh, no barriers on love, uh, but if I offended uh, it was wrongfully done, my sincerest apologies. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? Well, we haven't done this in a while. I've missed it. By the way, did I mention that we have a school that is in La Mirada, California, that's visiting us? (laughs) I just want to let you know. It's really important. So listen, if you want, um, we're going to talk about the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is more detailed. uh, The discussion between the LDS and the Christian idea of the Sabbath day or the Christian doctrine on the Sabbath day is uh, in A to Z. But bottom line, the Saturday was and is and always will be Saturday. Uh, it was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. True compliance to a Sabbath day, according to scripture, was very strict. And it, it purposely served as a day of rest at the end of a week under the law. It was the last day of the week, Friday night to, to Saturday night, the last day of the week. And the, and the children of Israel were under the burden of what they can and can't do. And then the day of rest came and they were restricted strictly on what they could and couldn't do. And uh, this past Sunday, many churches celebrated the raised Christ who came forward on the first day of the week And, and he came forth. And now from the first day of the week, the church gathers together on the Lord's day and it's a day where we springboard into the rest of the week of grace. We, uh, he, he said, come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so Christians rest in Christ every day. There's no special day of the week that we have to set aside and be under all these restrictions of what you can and can't do. Uh, there is a day of the week that we uh, set aside to congregate with like-minded believers and rejoice with like-minded believers, studying the word and, and singing praises and things. But uh, that day is not a day of burden. It's a day of of rejoicing over the resurrected Christ and then moving into the rest of the week uh, with him being our guide well the LDS they have come and they've taken Sunday and they have named it the Sabbath day they've taken it from the Jews which was Saturday and they've applied it to themselves and they place all kinds of burdens upon their people but those burdens of what they can and can't do uh, are are in some respect Uh, relative because they also let them do all kinds of work for the church on that day. And if you don't believe me, just get a calling that has any substance to it and you will find your Sabbath day is dedicated to working, literally working for the church. Again, In Mormonism, it's all about Mormonism. It's about your allegiance to it, your service to it, your devotion to its name. But in true Christianity, it's all about Him. It's all about the King and your rest in Him. This brings me to a good point. My friend Brandon said, he's quoting from, uh, actually from a writing of Lee Strobel that he showed me. But he says, if you take Christ out of true Christianity, you would have nothing. If you take Christ out of Mormonism, you still have Mormonism. There's the difference between the two. You could strip and you could take the Mormon church and not have one single leader, teacher, or priesthood holder mention Christ for a year, and Mormonism is gonna stand. You do that in a Christ-centered church and you're gonna have those people walking out. You go for a couple weeks not mentioning Christ, you're gonna have people walking out. There's the major difference. All right, and I think it's a good thing you know, to ask your own church that you go to. You know? If you remove Christ from the church you attend, from its focus and its activities and its sermons and its groups, uh, would the church continue to exist? If your answer is yes, choose another church. All right, and with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you, seek you, and ask your spirit to be with us, to help us as we move forward. Bless our audience here, wherever they may be. Uh, Help those who are um, searching for truth, Lord, that this program will be used to help them find it, to find life, and to find it more abundantly through you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, three weeks ago, we left off talking about Joseph Smith's witnesses to his golden plates. And if you recall, there's two sets of witnesses that each provided a testimony of seeing the plates. There's a first set of three guys, and there's a second set of eight guys, okay? All of them came from two families, the Smith family or the Whitmer family, who were very much uh, aligned with the exception of one guy, Martin Harris. He was a wealthy farmer in the area, and I have proposed to you that the Smiths and the Whitmer families, who are all part of the witnesses, we're all in on this to trick Martin Harris to give them money so that they could publish this uh, fake book. Uh, now, that's just my opinion. You listen to these facts about the, the first set of witnesses seeing the plates, the three, and you tell me if these facts that you hear about it support what I'm suggesting. Uh, first of all, the first witnesses, the, the three men, they didn't get to see the golden plates by virtue of holding them, Joseph Smith bringing them in a wagon, taking them out, letting them hold them like the eight witnesses did. These first three, they only got to see them in vision. That's really important you understand that about the witnesses to the plates. The first three were only able to see the plates by virtue of a vision. Right there, that makes you say, give me a break. I mean, look at the Bible. God tells guys to to write. Prophets, they write. Those writings are duplicated over thousands of years. They're duplicated really carefully. And when they get old, they're thrown away and, new, and copies are made and then they're thrown away and it perpetuates down to while they're gathered together and they're put into a book we call the Bible. All right, and they come from a lot of different sources spanning over 1,500 years. And that's how we get the Bible. And uh, what's up with this golden plate business where the way you get a witness of it is an angel pops up with them and shows you them by virtue of a vision, and that's how you get to see the plates, what's behind all that pure con magic is what it is. Now, we have to step back and look at the possibilities of these witnesses, all right? Pretend that you're a police detective and you're just hearing the facts about this and you're listening to them and see what's most reasonable and see what fits best with the scripture and see what seems suspect. There's two main possibilities of these three witnesses, the first group, seeing the plates. They either saw them and, and it was real, that makes the Book of Mormon true, or they did not see them. It, it was not real and the Book of Mormon is false. Uh, if it's the case that the plates are not real, then we have to say then what did these three witnesses see? What did they see? And we have kind of three options. They either saw nothing, or they think they saw something, or they saw something that pretended that these were plates, but they really weren't. It's one of those three things if the plates weren't real, okay? Going back to the first premise that the golden plates actually existed, we have a whole new line of thinking to ask ourselves. Like, if these plates really did exist, Then why, after actually seeing them and an angel showing them to these three men, why did those three men leave the church? If you had an angel pop up and show you, why on earth would you ever leave the church? Now, the Mormons talk about them never denying their uh, testimony. We're going to talk about that next week. But they left the church. A couple of them came back. A couple of them never came back. I mean, one of them never came back. So how could you be shown the actual golden plates and within a year or two leave the church, okay? And additionally, we have to ask, why did the first three witnesses only get to see these plates through a vision while the other eight witnesses, which were all from two families, get to supposedly hold them and touch them and turn their pages, etc. If there wasn't any real gold plates, we also have to ask, what did the first three witnesses see, if anything, with their spiritual eyes, and what did the eight witnesses actually handle with their physical hands, if anything? Finally, if there weren't any gold plates, we have to ask, what was really going on here? And why were all these men testifying that they saw gold plates when they either did or didn't? I believe you'll discover answers as we continue on right now. Now, obviously, I don't believe there is ever any golden plates from an ancient civilization buried in a hill behind Joseph Smith's home. And I don't believe an angel showed him where they were. However, I do believe it was possible in the course of six years where he was supposedly bringing forth the book that he created some plates. His father had a cooper shop. That's a barrel-making shop. They used steel and metal in those barrels to make bands. And it's possible he could have constructed some as a prop. We don't know. Um, So let's talk about the first three witnesses just tonight. What does their testimony say about seeing the plates? In part, it reads, And we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven, and he brought and laid before our eyes, and we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. This statement was written by Joseph Smith, and it was endorsed by three men, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And it says there that the angel showed them the plates, not men, all right? Now, remember, Oliver Cowdery was a relative of Joseph Smith's. He lived with Joseph's parents while Joseph was translating the book, supposedly. And David Whitmer, the other one, was a good friend of Oliver. And the Whitmer family shared a lot in common with the Smiths. Uh, And remember, according to the Book of Mormon account, that these guys did not actually see the plates. All right, when Martin Harris was in a print shop while the Book of Mormon was being printed, he's the third witness, uh, the print man named John Gilbert asked Harris point-blank, have you seen the plates with your naked eye? You know, because Gilbert was under the impression Joseph Smith was a persuasive, manipulative, charismatic kind of mesmerizer, and he might have been able to get Whitmer to see, I mean, Harris to see something that wasn't there. Harris paused and replied, no, I have seen them with the spiritual eye, Okay. In later accounts Harris repeatedly testifies of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon but he always made it clear that he only saw the plates with spiritual eyes why didn't the first three witnesses get to see and handle the plates in the physical sense like the eight witnesses did later when the three witnesses were supposed to get together and see the plates Joseph was still in possession of them he could have brought them according to history but an angel had to bring them and show them to them through vision in order to make it clear this is really important uh, the reason why the, the first three witnesses had to see them by a vision that Joseph was able to concoct and construe was because there was no plates at all and they had to convince Martin Harris one of the three witnesses that there were. And so they had to go about some method by taking this man and convincing him. So how did Joseph Smith prime the pump? First of all, while translating the Book of Mormon, he told Martin Harris, hey, there's supposed to be witnesses to these plates chosen by God and there's supposed to be three of them. So Martin Harris was already in on this thinking, wow, this might be a real book. I'm gonna donate money to it. There's there's supposed to be a witness to it. Oh, let it be me, let it be me. I wanna be, you know, and Joseph knew that. So he says, God told me there's supposed to be three witnesses. Then Joseph receives a revelation. It's one of his earliest revelations. And guess what the revelation says? The revelation says, and the witnesses are to be Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. Yay! So Martin Harris gets to be one of the witnesses now finally joseph takes the three men out into the woods okay now we see the con coming into play he takes all three men out into the woods and he says you gotta pray and pray and pray like a madman fervently pray your guts out to show the lord knows you're worthy to be able to see these plates so you're out in the wilderness You got all this pressure. You've had a revelation from God who says your name. You know that you're going to get to see him, and you're just, oh please! Now remember Martin Harris, the Mark, the the one who was being conned. He was spiritually zealous. He was a fanatic. He had great, great craziness about spiritual things, and they were preying upon that upon him. Okay, I can't prove that Oliver Cowdery or Whitmer were in on the con, but even if they weren't. All Joseph was doing was what hypnotists do at carnivals around the globe on Saturdays. They, they get you through mesmerism, through repetition, through positive thinking, persuading, and they get people to think and hear what is not there. I'm still pretty certain Cowdery, if not Whitmer too, were in on the con as a means to convince uh, Martin Harris that the plates were real. So. Listen to Joseph's report of what happened to the three witnesses. After he received the revelation of who got to go and see him, this is what Joseph said happened. Not many days after the above commandment was given, we four, vis-a-vis Martin Harris, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and myself, agreed to retire into the woods and try to obtain by fervent and humble prayer the fulfillment of the promises given in the revelation. That they should have a view of the plates, etc. We knelt down and begin to pray on much fa- on much faith to God Almighty to bestow upon us a realization of these promises. I commenced by vocal prayer to the Heavenly Father and was followed by each of the rest in succession. We did not yet, however, obtain any answer or manifestation of the divine favor in our behalf. We again observe the same order of prayer, each calling on and praying fervently to God in rotation, but with the same result as before. Upon our second failure, Martin Harris proposed that he withdraw himself from us, believing as he expressed himself that, he, uh, that his presence was the cause for our not obtaining what we wished for. Uh, he acknowledged withdrawing from us, he accordingly withdrew from us and we knelt down again and had not been many minutes in prayer when presently we beheld an angel above us in the air of exceeding brightness and behold, an angel stood before us and his hands, he held out the plates which we have been praying for these to have a view of. That's in history of Joseph Smith. So let me reread to you and add some commentary. Joseph says, not many days after the commandment came, they all went out. They tried through fervent and humble prayer, please God, the fulfillment of this revelation. Now, ask yourself, God told Joseph you need to have witnesses. God told Joseph the name of the witnesses. Joseph gets them out into the woods, and he gets them pleading for God to show them uh, these plates by a vision. I I mean, why is God making them jump through hoops? He said, these are the ones I want to show them to. But see, this is how the con works. It's predicated on your worthiness to be able to see these plates. Smith goes on, we knelt down, began to pray, and we vocally and divine favor on our behalf. Again, the same thing, what was God doing? And then Smith said, and again, we observed the same order of prayer, calling out, but we had the same results again, nothing. And so on our second failure, Martin Harris said, I'm gonna withdraw myself from this because I'm not worthy of doing this, and he withdrew. So the way Joseph tells it, old Martin Harris spoke up and said, "'Gents, God is not showing us the plates "'because I'm not worthy. "'Allow me to withdraw so the angel may come.'" And I submit that Smith wrote this to obscure the uh, details of the con because Martin Harris tells us a completely different story about what happened, one that perfectly reveals that a con was underway. This is what Martin Harris said happened out there. "'When they had engaged in prayer, they failed at the time to see the plates or the angel who should have been on hand to exhibit them. They all believed, meaning Joseph, Oliver, and David, it was because I was not good enough, or in other words, not sufficiently sanctified, so I withdrew. You see, their plan worked. This was it. What we're going to do is we are going to pray and pray and pray together. There's not going to be any angels showing the plates. Pray and pray and pray. No angel shows up. So they all turn and they all look at Martin. <laughs> and Martin, who is a religious fanatic, who sees spirits and throws himself around, says, it's me, it's me. You know, so he runs off into the woods. Now Joseph him reports, and then we started praying, and pretty soon the angel popped up and showed us the plates. So now, uh, with Harris out there in the woods, Joseph says this, next, next one. I now left David and Oliver, and went in pursuit of Martin Harris, who I found at a considerable distance, fervently engaged in prayer. He soon told me, however, that he had not yet prevailed with the Lord, and earnestly requested me to join him in prayer, that he might also realize the same blessings which we had just received. We accordingly adjoined joined in prayer, and ultimately attained our desires for when we had just finished, the same vision was open to our view, at least it was given again to me," Joseph writes. While at the same moment, Martin Harris cried out, apparently in ecstasy of joy. He said, "'Tis enough. Mine eyes have beheld. And jumping up shouted, Hosanna, blessed God, and otherwise rejoicing exceedingly.'" So what happened was Joseph then went off and got Martin Harris alone. And Joseph was very persuasive. By what powers, I'm not going to say. I don't know. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And you you notice that Martin Harris said, "'It's enough. It's enough.'" I've seen, I've seen. And this is the testimony of the first three witnesses to the plates. Now, does that sound like something that God is doing? Or does that sound like something that men are doing? Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Newsflash Channel 4. People are asked, cover your tattoos or change your clothing at City Creek Mall. So... Uh, Remember that. Uh, OK, Debbie in St. George is online one, but I have no phone. There, it's off. So let's go to uh, uh, first time callers only, LDS callers preferred. Turn down thy damned TV sets. And uh, while the operators clear your call, uh, check this out. By the way, I want to say this one thing. We, there's some very nasty rumors on the internet that say, we only take the calls that are easy and that we screen out anybody who's intelligent and representing the church. I want to tell you that is a flat-out lie. We take anybody and everybody who can formulate a sentence, essentially. <laughs> and, and the only rule we have is no smoking pot before you call, and please... Be, don't be a repetitive caller. We wouldn't have the repetitive caller rule if we didn't have people who would call every single week to continue on their diatribe. That's why we do that. But everybody is uh, is free to call. Okay, uh, check out our partner's spot.
1: Uh, generations back we're Mormons, and um, I, I knew that uh, I kept having the, the feelings all along that there was something wrong, that um, like you said before, there was a, uh, a rat in the room, and I kept having problems with polygamy and the blacks holding the priesthood and, and all of that. And um, I kept getting pressure from my family, saying, well, there's something wrong with me. I had a closed mind, a closed spirit. Just keep going, go on faith, and everything will be fine. And um, so I, I kept going, um, hoping that I would get it like everybody else did, but knowing deep down inside this wasn't true, and it finally culminated, and I I left, uh, ended up leaving the church, and uh, you talk about uh, having a family that um, kind of <laughs> went down on me and did not agree with anything that I was doing, of course. Um, so I have a question for you today. Yes. Um, my question is... Uh, <sighs> I didn't have the courage to leave when my children were younger and I could have influenced them, and I stayed with it. Consequently, my daughter married a Mormon, married in the temple, and um, my uh, oldest grandson is 16 years old and is planning on going on a mission. And I am, I, I am just so torn because I, I hate to see him waste two years of his life and bring people into a church that i know with every fiber of my being it it is not true and i'm wondering what what can i do as a grandparent do i keep my mouth shut do i say something do i get permission from my kids to to talk to him what can i do
0: well you know it's uh... it's really tough uh... debbie because uh one it's it's late in the game. Uh two you have parents who have their wishes for their son. Three the son is probably already suspect of you because you've you left the church a long time ago. So the best answer is prayer. And that is just pray for for your grandson and grandchildren. And then I would suggest that you don't speak against Mormonism when they're around because that will just banish them from your presence in the future because they'll tell their parents. But I would just share what Jesus means to you and how he's your king and, and just keep singing his praises and talking about what he does for you as your king and uh, what he did for the world. And uh, just keep planting those seeds in kindness and in love. Um, and in time, maybe... Never, I-, I never have spoken against the church. I mean, my daughter knows my feelings
1: and my reasons for leaving and and... You know, she knows how, how I feel, but I've never made that uh, public to my grandchildren or never spoken against the church. They just know that I used to be in the church, and, and now I'm not. That's that's all they know, and okay. I mean, they love me and respect me. Um, I just wish so bad that I could sit down and talk to him and show him some things and have him read some things and, you know, before he commits to this
0: mission but you you could try it I'm not saying don't do that as you're led to do it you could try that but I'm just saying you know it's it's difficult you know I have my my, I have a nephew who literally is on a mission right now you know and he called me and uh, he said he wanted to talk he had a girlfriend who was a born-again Christian I mean every everything on him was don't go this is not true it didn't work at all he's there so you know it's not in our power it's in God's so trust God uh, and be loving to him. Are you a Are you a believer now? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I good. mean, I I attend
1: a, a church here in in Saint George, and and um, you know I I read the Bible. I I believe that Jesus Christ was my savior, and that you know that he died for my sins, and and I love him, and
0: and do everything I can to you know live a righteous life. But well, share that with them. That's enough. Keep sharing that with them, Debbie, okay? Okay. God bless you. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We we got Tom who is uh, in Salt Lake City, a first-time caller. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter. Tom? Tom? Sorry about that. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So, uh, quick question
2: for you. Um, I used to be a member of the church, uh, the Mormon church served a full two years, did the whole mission thing, came home, and then I, was, uh, I got a job working on Sabbath days, and I ended up getting tattoos, and I was kicked out of the church because I didn't um, honor the Sabbath day, and because I had tattoos, they told me I had the mark of the beast, and I was going to hell. So my question is, how many LDS people, because I, I know the guy that kicked me out, owns a business, and is open on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of hip- hypocrite. How many of people actually
0: do that? Oh, you know, you're talking about major hypocrisy from beginning to end here, my friend. You go on Brigham Young University's campus, and you've got the Marriott Center a huge basketball uh, auditorium uh, funded by Marriott, who uh, is one of the purveyors, the largest purveyors of pornography in the world, who's got more bars per square foot in his hotels than anybody else, and is open on every Sabbath day, and yet they embrace him readily. You know, it works like this in the church, Tom. If you're a small fry, they'll use you as an example to keep the rules enforced. If you're powerful and big, they turn a blind eye. And, and that's just the way it works now how did they go about I mean do they literally is your tattoo of the mark of the beast I mean is it 666 oh, no, it's, it's um,
2: it, it was kinda of like I used to do drugs and everything like that and I celebrated five year mark clean and sober and so I got a tattoo that says carpe diem which is seize the day and live life to the fullest that's what my tattoo says
0: and so forgetting that and then this breaking the sabbath day and so how did they kick you out how did this actually go down well, they had the whole
2: uh, conference thing, the um,
0: a court I don't
2: know they had like a conference yeah, Not like a conference, but a meeting where I had to stand and I, in, in front of a bunch of people, tell everybody all the sins I committed, why I committed them, if I was sorry and everything. And then they, they sent me out of the room. And then they came back and said, yeah, we're going to kick you out of the church. And then sent me a letter saying, I was no longer a member of the church because of it.
0: So, Tom, uh, I'm going to get to that, uh, that court in just a second. But what are you doing now? What's happened with your life since? Well, I've been watching your show pretty regularly. And uh,
2: I've just, I've been studying the Bible a lot about the New Testament because I feel that if I have a true faith in Jesus, then he's the one that's going to save me, not you know all these other special temple things that I've got to go through and, No, I have a connection with God, that's who I need to worry about. That
0: is awesome, Tom. Praise God. That's really good. Really glad to hear that. Uh, You know, Tom, uh, a really wise guy named Sean, not me, Sean the bus rider, Sean told me, a church didn't die for you, Jesus did. And uh, I, I love that phrase. And I wish people would get that through their head. It sounds like you are, so really glad. Keep going on that. Hit a church on a Sunday that teaches the Bible, you know, and, and if they don't do things necessarily like you're used to, it's okay. But you just keep going on that track, all right? All right, thank you much. Have a great day, okay? Thanks, bye-bye. I want to point something out to you. In, in Christianity, in, in true Christianity, uh, the, the church is for the sick. The church is not for the perfect. Jesus is for the sinners. And he came and he hung out with them. And he, he, he hung out with the whores. And he hung out with the prostitutes. I guess that's one of the same thing. I don't know. And he, he hung out with the, uh, the people who are lepers, people who are so messed up. Why? Because that's who need him. And the others. They might have had their sins forgiven through him, they're not gonna receive him because they think they're too good. They think they have it all together. This church casts those people to the curb who've got nowhere to go. You've gotta live and you gotta be proper in order to be a Latter-day Saint, why? Because they want everybody to be, uh, 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 someday be a presidential candidate and they want everybody to be a uh, CPA or a CFO or a CEO or an accountant or an attorney and they want to, and, and so they kick you to the curb if you don't fit that and if you if you fit the model of a family that struggles you know uh, you live in a trailer park financially you don't have a husband in the family maybe or you, or you don't have a wife and you don't dress really well and you live in an area where where people do uh, let me tell you something you will understand Mormonism like that just like that and that's the problem with it okay uh, caller confirmed they okay we're not going to do that. Let's see. Uh, I have a friend who's a Christian and asked me to watch the near-death experience of a person. Uh, The near-death experience says this and this and this and this. What do you think of near-death experiences, all the books that are out there uh, about them? Uh, I don't believe them. Uh, That's me. I'm sure there are people who believe them, and they really put a lot of vested interest in them. But I think when you're dead, you're dead. You know, I I don't believe it. I mean, I think you might be near death or, but people who say they died, I I think they they hadn't died yet because when you die, you don't get back up. So I think there could be brain things going on. I think there could be hopes going on. Why do I say that? Well, you know, Muslims, when they die, they see a certain, or they have near death experience. They see a certain thing that has no correlation to what we see. And it's very nice and beautiful. And Mormons, you know what they see when they have near death? They see family, all their families waiting for them. And then they come back. And everybody sees their own little subjective thing. But I'm going to tell you something. When you really die, you see light or you see hell. I mean, that's what it says. You see light if you just believed in the guy who gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. You believed on him. He says, you're you're free. You're going to live. You don't, you don't because he came to do that for you freely, you see? So near the death experiences, I'm not really big. Besides, you know, they have that book, 27 minutes in hell or something like that. How come these guys always are the ones who get to go through that whole experience and then they come back and they write the book and they charge for it. They, they say, they say, God wants me to reveal to the world what it's like in hell. I went through this experience, I saw the demons and then they write, they charge you, you know, 1995 for their thing so God can show you what. I. I I don't know. It's, it's a little crazy. All right, let's go to Mel in West Valley. First time caller, uh, and he's LDS. Mel, you got to turn your TV down. You're on the air. You have to turn your TV down, Mel. You have to turn your TV down. Mel. I it, No, it's not. I can still hear it. Okay, you're on the air, Mel. Go. I can still hear myself.
3: Who do I talk to?
0: You're talking to Sean. Mel.
3: Yeah, I, have a, I have a comment for you, man.
0: Okay, what is it?
3: Okay, you heard know, your statement. You said that, you know, about the plates. Yeah. You made a reference that uh, said that uh, if God showed the place with his three witnesses, why later on, like a year later, someone will leave? I'm, you know, you know, if, are
0: you, are you listening? I am, but you, whatever you have playing in the background, you got to turn it off. Okay. Off, Mel, off. <gasps> now you, it says on the screen that you're LDS. Have you been smoking the gange? No, so I'm trying to work my, uh, I'm trying to turn my, yeah. my remote and I work on. Just turn it off, Mel, turn it off. You don't need to, s- turn it off, come on. Okay. Uh Yeah, I can still hear it, Mel. Okay, nose off. Okay. Now ask your question.
3: Okay. My, my question is related to the uh, statement that you made earlier on your show them watching about the three witnesses that uh, uh, you said that if God showed the three witnesses the golden plates, why would later on some of them left the church?
0: Yeah. How come?
3: You're an idiot, man. Moses, Moses, God make a, a crazy lot of miracles, when Moses delivered these right out of, of Egypt. And some of them, they they saw the miracles that got made, and some of what happened to them. Some of them didn't believe it, right?
0: Okay, that's a good. That's a legitimate uh, point. That's Some a of good... them didn't believe it, right? Yeah, it, the the children of Israel they went crazy when Moses left, it, and they built a golden calf. You're right. So what? So what
3: point are you trying to make by saying that you know later on the White House or whoever, he said you know, after a year later, he left the church because, you
0: know, after he saw you he uh, assumed... I'll t- I understand, Mel. The The point is, Moses didn't leave. Remember, Moses was up on the mount. He was the one who was having the exchange. He's the one who saw the fire in the in the hand of God. And, That's not and the what one...
3: I'm saying. What I'm saying, when the people were in Egypt, God created a lot of miracles. All of them saw it. And yet, later on, they, did, they didn't believe it.
0: Okay, this wasn't a miracle. These were actual gold plates proving that this ancient record was true. And yet, those witnesses came back. And Martin Harris said he was a shaker now, and he believes more in that than he did in Mormonism. That's, what I'm, that's
3: not what I'm trying to say. You say anything from God. What, you know, you've always shown I get your point. You've got to tell me he was coming tomorrow, you know, and he told me the fact that he was going to come tomorrow.
0: No. Okay, so your point is that my point was not a good one. And okay, it might not have been. Maybe, maybe.
3: And here's another because I don't think you have a need, you know, they let me get a first it that used to be a Mormon. And now this, and you're teaching people that, you know, faith alone will save you. That's a bunch of crap. Read James, the book of James, without works, faith without works is dead.
0: Yeah. Faith, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You cannot, you know, believe by faith alone. You have to work, you know. You have to work for
3: what? What do you mean, work? You have to work. You cannot. For what? Cannot be, wait, 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 wait! You have to work for what? You cannot be saying doing the things that you need. You have to do in order for you to return. That's what you gotta do. Uh, can So, how, so
0: what are those things, Mal?
3: Let me say something, here, okay? Let me say. Let me. Let me try. Let me say something. You okay. and I'm terrified
0: of them. They are mighty strong. Oh. Mal, uh, <laughs> Mal, what type of works do you have to do?
3: Okay, here's this. You answer my question, and then I'll believe you, okay? If you can answer this question, okay? All right. Let's say I'm a bad guy, and then when I'm getting ready, you know, and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm going to die, okay? And throughout all my entire life, I did, you know, everything wrong, and this and that, and then when my time comes, then all of a sudden I say I repent, okay, from what I, you know, from everything that I did wrong, okay? Just because, you know, I know I was going to die, right? Yeah. Now, you're going to tell me. Am I going to be forgiven because of the last minute? After all this time I've been doing wrong, doing my entire life, and you tell me, am I going to be saved or what?
0: Okay, Robert. Now, you've asked your question. Now, let me respond, okay? Mel, let me respond. If you had lived your entire life as the most vile sinner on the earth, you were a terrible person. Let's say you were on executions row, and you realized at that point, right before they flipped the switch, that you were a sinner that Jesus is God, and that it's by believing on Him you would be saved. Absolutely, you're saved. Absolutely, Mal. Let
3: me let me tell you something then. Okay.
0: Tell me. Would
3: that be fair to all those other people that they did right in their entire life, and there's someone like me that I did wrong all my entire life can, you know, ask me to repent? And what about those people that you know work hard, they did everything right in their life? Would that be fair to them?
0: Uh, Jesus gives a parable Mel, to answer your question and the parable was hey there was a guy who had a work area and in the morning he said hey come on in I'll pay you a penny and they worked all day long all day long and he kept hiring throughout the day and then right before the day was over some other people came in and he said hey I'll pay you a penny and he paid them all the same and the people who started working in the morning were really mad they said, hey, we've worked all day long, and you've only paid us a penny, You should, and you paid the guy who just walked in a penny. Do you understand what the teaching of that is, Mel? Yeah, I'm well aware of parable you're talking about. Yeah, but you don't understand it. A... You're well aware of it, but you don't understand it. I can understand. No, you don't understand it. If you understood it, Mel, then you would understand your question to me and how off it is. It is not about your works or your goodness. It's about his works and his goodness and your faith and belief upon him, Mel. Your stuff is filthy rags before God, Mel. What you do is laughable to God. Now, now wait, now let me finish. Now let me finish and then I'll let you talk. Let me finish, Mel, if you have let's say you were on the, uh, gonna, about to be executed and you received Jesus and, and you were born again and suddenly the governor said, you're not gonna be executed. You're gonna live the rest of your life in jail. Guess what? That person, because of the love Jesus they, uh, shared for them and what they knew, they would spend the rest of their life serving him, sharing him, teaching him, loving others, but that has nothing to do with his salvation. Now, right. I'm
3: gonna spend my rest of my life in jail Doing that, let me tell you something about people that go to jail and then later on they claim they changed because of they found all of a sudden they found God. Tell me about it, Mel. They're just using that to so they can get you know get out of jail. That's the only. Problem. Okay, and
0: what are you using to justify yourself before God, Mel? Your works, your goodness. Are you a good man, Mel? I work. I help. You work. Help the needy. I help. You help the needy. I Help the needy. I work. Oh. That's what you do. Oh, but you do more than me. Well, good for you, Mel. Mel. Now listen, <laughs> Mel. Let me ask you something. Yeah. You work. Mel, what about the evil you do? What? Your works. Do you think you're helping the poor is what saves you?
3: Of course. Isn't that what the law was all about? Charity? Isn't that what it's charity? all about?
0: Charity? It is all about charity, but that charity any... comes after the horse called Christ. You don't charity, know anything, and man. then. That... I don't know anything I know. To you, I don't. But see, what you're doing right here is you're disproving your ignorance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're right. You're right. What you're doing here, Mel, is you are proposing a false gospel, which Paul warned us about. And what you're saying here is what the Jews tried to do in the book of Galatians. You're saying, hey, look, you need to really get in there and obey laws and all this stuff to prove yourself worthy. And Mel, that's a lie. Can I read you something, Mel? One passage? Just one passage? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay, you listen and you tell me what this, what this means, all right? It's in James, and this is what it says. If I could find it, is that in the New Testament? All right. It says, Mel. Yes, I'm
3: listening.
0: Whoever keeps the whole law, Mel, and yet offends in one point, he is guilty of breaking the whole law. What do you think that means, Mel? I understand. I know, but, you, know, you can keep you can
3: everything the commandments are say but if you, if you kill, you're destroying the whole law. That's what it meant. Okay,
0: it's, Okay. if you kill, what about if you lust upon a woman? It says you're guilty of breaking all the laws if you do that.
3: That's stupid, man. No, I know what that law was. What, you
0: well, know, what I, does it what, mean? Now, Mel, so I have to ask you, if, do you obey the whole law?
3: You can do everything, but if you steal, you're breaking
0: like, the whole law, everything, okay? And so you're guilty of everything? Yeah, Okay. So, Mel, so what are your good uh, attempts at trying to please God through your obedience to your laws? And you do believe in laws, Mel. What does God think of you when you break the Sabbath day? Have you ever broken the Sabbath day, Mel? What? what, by, what you, by what Have means? you ever broken the Sabbath day as a Mormon? Like what? what? I mean, not I want... Not, I want to... not like what you know. Have you ever broken the Sabbath day? Well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lie. Yes, I did. You did? Okay, so guess what James says. You are guilty of murder, adultery, stealing, everything. It's on your back because the law doesn't come in pieces, Mel. It comes as a whole. The only way for you to get that off your back is by faith, Mel, in Christ, who obeyed the whole law on your behalf. you get it?
3: I understand what you're saying, man, but okay. I, you don't understand the law. The law was only made, you know, foreshadowed for the coming of Christ, okay? And when Christ uh, comes, he presents, you know, it. I agree. It over the level.
0: I agree. Well, so you if cannot that, be,
3: the law cannot take you along unless you, uh, you believe in Christ and, and do what you do. What do you
0: mean, unless? If there is Christ, so there is no law. The law alone? No, there's no law. There's no law if there's Christ.
3: You don't that's what Paul was teaching me, okay? That was supposed to okay? The law does not, you know, circumcision and all this other stuff, but the law does not help you get to heaven. okay? That's okay, what all right,
0: I agree with that. So then why do you have laws that are supposed to be obeyed to get you to heaven, Mel? Law of tithing? Oh. Sabbath, law of tith- Law of tithing.
3: I, 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 I know one, that's one law, I know you don't do it. You know, I know that for a fact. You know, I know that for a fact you don't do that law. Because, um, you know, I know you don't pay tithing because that's the reason, that's why, uh, you know, that first call is just, just used to be the woman and whatever. they then later on, she went, there's a reason for it because they can't handle the standard, you know,
0: church. You're right. I couldn't handle the standards. They I they could never handle the standards. But guess what? Neither can you. They don't. They, they don't. You can't either. You just, you just admitted you break the Sabbath day. I pay tithing, brother. I pay tithing, brother. Okay. You pay tithing. Well, good. Enjoy I, that all you want. Take that to God when you die. And say, "Hey, let me in. I paid tithing. Say, let me in. I obeyed the law of consecration. I obeyed the law that I that I got in the temple. I obeyed all the laws. Because remember, what's one of your articles of faith? We believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and or- and ordinances of your gospel. You're saying all it needs is faith to be saved, okay? So you say you you can go and break the laws and and this. Who would want to break the laws if they've been saved? Why would a man want to break the laws if they know Jesus came and suffered for them and saved them? Why would I want to break the laws? I would want to love people like Jesus told me to. Why would I want to break the laws?
3: You don't pay tithing. Do you pay
0: tithing? Tithing's not a law. No,
3: that's a law. That's a law, brother. That started from Jacob, okay, when he
0: left. Okay, and where does it talk about it in the New Testament, Mel? When Jacob,
3: what?
0: Where does it talk about the law of tithing in the New Testament? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about giving, Mel? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, it was a good conversation. Please be nice to me if you see me on the street. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, phone calls are busy. We only have four minutes. Let's keep going. Uh, Do I believe, it says here. We get a lot of do I believes. It's not really important. Do I believe in being a prepper, a biblical prepper, it says. And what that means is stockpiling food and other things in preparation of any litany of catastrophic events, economic failure, earthquake, etc. I defer to Matthew uh, chapter 6. I I defer to Jesus' words, not my own. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verse 25 and 26. He says, Therefore I say unto you, these are two his apostles, admittedly, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And he goes on and talks all about being a prepper. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with planning uh, your uh, future, but to the extent that the Mormons have their food storage system and the, and the millions and millions of dollars and foodstuffs that have been wasted through that, uh, but most of those products being sold through Mormon organizations, by the way, um, you know, I don't believe in that to that extent. I believe in trusting in the Lord. The day uh, tomorrow carries enough evil in and of itself, trust in Him. But there's nothing wrong with being wise. There's nothing wrong with storing up. Jesus taught his parables about that too. But just to the extent that the LDS do, I think it's catastrophic. Robert, line one, really quickly one question about the Holy Spirit. Robert, you're on. Heart of the Matter. Hey,
2: son. How are you doing? fantastic you are doing such an awesome job i would like to mention that first of all and i am i am a believer and i'm a very happy believer and a blessed believer my question is though i had something to ask you about the baptism of the holy spirit yeah okay i've been saved for about 20 years active for about five and for the last couple years i've been really blessed in fact Uh, speaking in tongues and all this other stuff and and my parents actually say that that's all fine and dandy but the spiritual world you got to be careful because when you're speaking in tongues you never know who could come in what's your input on that
0: well speaking in tongues you never know about who can come in I don't know about that one Uh, but all I can say is this Uh, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit I believe in the gifts of speaking in tongues I believe it needs to be done properly and biblically, and I don't think it always is. But I also think, Robert, as a fan of the show, it doesn't do uh, the purpose of this show much good when we uh, ask mainstream Christian questions. This is why. Because what I will say about speaking in tongues is not always thought of in other places. Just like you might have a very different opinion. And someone else might have a very different opinion. And it doesn't make Christians uh, split up. It just means we have different opinions on non-essentials. Now you might say, well, it's an essential. And this is why on this program, I would love for Christians to call and talk about the unity we have in the faith, not necessarily the things that serve to divide us. So maybe sometime you and I can sit down and we can go through scripture and talk about that. But on this show, I would prefer just to say, look, there's liberty in Christ, how the spirit of the Lord works with you, embrace it, go with it. And uh, keep being happy, my friend. Thanks for calling. I Thank you very
1: much. You okay. have a wonderful evening.
0: Thanks, you too. Uh, join us next week as we talk about the eight witnesses, if I'm here, if Mel doesn't get me. And, uh, and we'll see you then here on Heart of the Matter.